0: In No Name in the Street, James Baldwin writes, a man who knows that he is facing death, or more accurately, who knows that it is, after all, he himself, who has insisted on and brought about this moment, may involuntarily, helplessly, shout or weep, or even piss or shit in his pants where he stands, but he will not turn back. To turn back is no longer among his possibilities. I share that or I start with that because I feel as if I have personally reached a moment where I can no longer turn back and that scares the hell out of me. And I know how much fear has guided me in the past and still does manifest in ways that affect my behavior that affect my interactions with others, that affect my worldview, that affect how I see the future. So I want to talk about the fear because my assumption is, my belief is, that, that I, me operating out of fear isn't uncommon in the human experience. So what I hope for is by sharing my fears may help others take an inventory of their own, take an inventory of your own. The fears we don't face loom larger in our imagination than what they really are. And I, I guess I shouldn't be prescriptive or I. I, I really can only speak for myself, but I do hope that my particular is accessible or universal. So today I just wanted to talk about fear, share my fears and they run the gambit. You know, I am scared that what I'm doing right now is pure ego, that I'm looking to center myself vying for clout in some way what has helped me i think is is practicing awareness with with that especially trying not to let the the ego take over i i realize that or or one thing that helped me and maybe can help you too is creating relatable or safe imagery in your mind i mean similar to i guess uh Inside Out, that Pixar movie from a few years ago, where these feelings have, they're like anthropomorphized in some way. I say this uh, to preface how I've done this with my ego. If you're familiar with Pokemon, there is a Pokemon named Ditto. And this Pokemon's uh, strength is to be able to like take the shape of its adversary and then like it also has, it also can then take their moves, you know, and like their abilities and kind of mirror it back to them. And what I like about this imagery is I, I, I feel that my ego operates in the same, in a similar way. It can take the shape of other feelings and I can, if I'm not careful, can take the direction of the ego in disguise and not realize that it's the ego that I'm operating out of. Um, The fragile ego, the one that wants to be pampered. (laughs) And given this attention, I was gonna say that it it thinks it deserves, but the ego is me, so that I think I deserve. And the ego is so embarrassing, which is why (laughs) I am afraid of it but also taking steps to face it to face that fear of the of the ego because even if so it's funny that i start with fear of the ego cuz underneath the you know there's insecurity underneath there and underneath that it's it's fear you know so it's getting into this habit of digging in and going through fearlessly. (laughs) In AA, like in the 12 step program, they talk about um, doing a fearless moral inventory of your past. I think fear lies deep beneath the surface. Whether that is the human condition, you know, in order to help us survive for like, be aware of predators and respond accordingly or if it's been buried by centuries of conditioning to reject the fears. And this is specifically, you know, I, and I can only talk about my fears through the experience of a cishet white man in America, <laughs> middle class, and middle class is so funny, like, we all, white people always have to, we dampen our privilege, you know, or uh dull it in a way that gives us, like middle class is just like, it, it brings about this imagery of, you know, stable, but not wealthy, you know, or rich. <laughs> but we are so rich, like middle class is, is like the richest middle-class America, uh, white middle-class America. We are so rich (laughs) in, you know, like money and resources provided to us. We're missing out on the richest of life because the prosperity that we found in an American capitalist society is comfort. And this craving for comfort it comes, it, so again, I'm sorry, I don't want to be prescriptive. I don't want to generalize. I don't know anything. <laughs> you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, in like a grand sense. I wouldn't be speaking into this microphone if I didn't feel confident about how I felt. But ultimately, I know nothing. Like, you know, relative to the universe, relative to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> There's just no way, right? Like, so I, I, I hope that this doesn't land harshly on the ears that I'm, I'm just speaking to hear myself talk, you know? So I, I might reiterate this a few times that I can only speak for my own experiences. Now, I, I probably will speak for white people a little bit, <laughs> like using the we. So when I use a we, I, I, I most often when using that we I'm not I, I, I I'm I'm keeping it around white people. Often what we'll do when we use that we is uh include everyone, <laughs> you know, every person, even the people that we are oppressing or we're trying to dominate. Because you gotta spread that blame. <laughs> Cause we're fucking scared as hell to recognize the harm that our system is causing that we've chosen to upheld and have chosen to continue to receive the benefits from. So when we look at the ills of the country or the world, when, when we look around and see the suffering and the pain and the violence and the war and the fires and the flooding, we say, and I hear it all the time. Oh, this world is just crazy. Like, I can't believe it. Like, it becomes a global problem. We put it on everyone. I've said racism is a white people. We're Racism is a white people problem because we're the racist. And I had one guy um, tell me it's not a white people problem. It's a society problem. And that I'm a part of the problem <laughs> by by saying it's it that the responsibility, that the responsibility and the blame falls on us, there is because similar to fears, <laughs> once you start digging in, you find the truth at the root of it. And the truth at the root of American history <laughs> is, is white supremacy. And white people, all white people um, are ultimate contentment with that system, with the maintenance of white power. And there is a very simple line of deduction to get there i would i'd be happy to try to like you know like hear someone else like hear this man's explanation for how it's a society problem not a white person problem i'm hoping that by sharing my fears and working through them that i can remove at least a little bit of the fear behind doing that because we have to go through this because even at the uh, heart of white supremacy and white power is fear. It's operating from a place of, of, of fear. Um, and then, you know, the fear, ha- hatred is born of that fear, you know, fear of the other. But, but this system created another, created the other. And that system was built upon fear, facing fears, we must face our fears because they're not going anywhere. They will, if we have blinders up they're they're going to be right outside of the blinders. (laughs) You know, like there isn't a a way to reject this, uh, reject fear that makes it go away. (laughs) You know, it is only through our facing of these fears, um, and working through them that we can either let them go or have them in, you know, acknowledge them. They're, like there there will always be, I think we'll always possess like a fear of dying or fear of loss. And those are fine and <laughs> normal and it's the it's the balance of these. I like and that's why we have a binary for almost everything, right? It's this or that, right or wrong, good or bad, us or them, male, female, you know? And a binary is constructed from fear because if we can't categorize something, if it can't be placed in a box easily, right if it can't be comfortably put in a box with little work involved that is scary <laughs> and a lot of this comes just from the conditioning of americans and and, and white americans specifically we are privileged <laughs> to a, to be able to live a life of comfort and safety that is able to dull the fears enough or we're able to escape from our reality that can exist outside of our, our fears. Because what, what we're doing when we, when, whenever we reject that, or whenever we don't bear witness faithfully, what we're doing is blocking us off from the fullness of life. And that should be scarier to us, right? Right? Not living life fully, that's one thing, right? But then to not live life fully and also the way that we're living life is, is harming others, is inflicting suffering on others. That's scary. That's the scariest, that's, that's the scariest prospect. And so even in denial, at the base of that is fear. <laughs> Um, And I I certainly know the fear. uh, uh, I I am very aware of the strength of denial and the fear that motivates that denial. As an alcoholic for 15 years, I built a habit of rejecting fear. I, I, I was afraid to own up to what I had done Because I'm, I I am deeply afraid um, or, or I'm not as afraid anymore of humiliation, but for my entire life, um, up until, you know, very recently working through this, um, I was scared to death of public humiliation, which it's funny, like, Because then I went on to publicly humiliate myself time after time, weekend after weekend. I was publicly humiliating myself. And it's ironic because, so that makes me think, I wonder if there is a draw to our fears. You know, my my fear of public humiliation was there, but it was being, you know, like, like, was I so afraid of it that I did it to myself? Right? And I wonder if we do that with other fears. Right? Where there's something that we're so afraid will happen that we bring it about. You know? And I think at the heart of my fear of denial, I... So one, it hurts to hurt people. (laughs) And you don't want to... I think we naturally don't want to hurt others. And... If I hurt someone, I acknowledge it and own up to it if there is ever to be a way to to, to mend that. But there's no facing the fear if I don't own up, up to it. There's only denial. And that, again, it, you know, it's blocking yourself off. It, it was blocking myself off from the fullness of life because I wasn't being honest with myself if i'm not if you're not being honest with yourself <laughs> how how are we going to live a full life i don't think it's possible i'm afraid of time in a lot of ways and i think that we see this culturally right we have an acronym for it FOMO this fear of missing out, none of us are missing out. We are, we are here, we're at the party, right? As Rob Bell says, there is no missing out. You, you have everything that you need. And so it's funny, these, these statements are, are, are balances, right? Um, Cause you could hear that and then <laughs> be like, okay, so like I get, there's nothing to do about the, the systems that are literally depriving uh, people of their needs uh, unnecessarily, you know, but, but also intentionally. When I say that we have everything that we need, <laughs> I, I do mean that on a spiritual level, right? This is heaven. We we're already here. We make hell when we don't see it, when we don't see that we're living in heaven. And white people have made hell for a lot of people. When you're being terrorized or suffocated by the state, that, that makes it very difficult. <laughs> I, I have to fucking imagine to feel as if you have everything you need. To, to, to live in a world without incredible fear. And and that is a different fear than what white people face, white Americans face, right? So all of this is a balance and it's not a one size fits all thing. It's not a binary like fear or to, to be afraid or to not be afraid. There are healthy Fear, fear is an emotion, <laughs> just like anger or joy or happiness. These are emotions, right? Exhilaration, adventure. Those are feelings of life. And literally, how you feel is how you feel. There isn't... A, how you feel is... There isn't a way around that. You not feeling how you feel can't exist because you feel the way you feel, (laughs) right? Which is why examining with intellectual honesty and emotional honesty, how we feel is critical to the human experience, to, to what we owe to one another. I'm very afraid of this nihilism that I see creeping up in white circles around my age. You know, like, I guess like the millennials. And, you know, it might exist elsewhere. This is just where I've seen it. Well, there's nothing we can do. The world's burning, we're at war. Like, people in power are gonna do what they want. You know, might as well just try to make the most of it. (laughs) And it's so frustrating because what we are ignoring is our culpability within that, right? Like, when is it going to become our response? When is the state of the world going to become our responsibility? Will you ever view it as your responsibility the way that the world is? The world as it is can only be shaped by those who are in it, right? so if we are the ones who are here now and the world is the way that it is and we are the ones who hold the power because we stole it violently and then we did all the shit that brought us to here we started the wars we destroyed the climate we kidnapped we enslaved we stole and we have violently maintained that so if the world is to burn white people are to go down like 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 putting out the fire. We don't have the right to watch it burn. We did start the fire, Billy Joel. It wasn't always burning. <laughs> we did start it. And so it's on us to do something about that. And then my fear is that we're not and then we're going to run out of time, which makes me scared to death that you know the world can end. Soon. Uh, and I, God, a lot of people's worlds have ended and I'm scared of that encroaching on my life, right? That these, dev- that this devastation, it happens on the periphery. It's like, oh shucks, that fucking sucks for them, but I got dinner plans tonight. So I feel like I'm running out of time. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda writes that in Hamilton. Why do you write like you're running out of time? But in that, there's so many there's so much fear that lies within that. The fear of time. And so again, so I what I hope to do with this, and I'm you know, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm 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 trying to work through this with you. And I don't see many people talking about our fears, right? So let me let me kind of dig into this. This fear of time and this fear of it running out (laughs) and the fear of, so like the way that I can sum that up is being, like the fear of being alone as the world ends because within that, there are a few things. There's the fear of the actual devastation, living through that, experiencing what we have viewed on the periphery for our lives happening to us, (laughs) right? Where it, we are, we're reaping what we've sown and so just the devastation alone is very scary. Whether it be gun violence, I, I don't want to be fucking killed by a gun. You know, I don't want to die by a gun. I'm scared to death of being killed by a gun. I'd be pissed. <laughs> and that shit happens every day. A hundred people die every fucking day from gun violence. Again, on the periphery right? For me. So that, that aloneness can exist <laughs> in multiple ways, right? Where I'm out and about <laughs> and something happens and I die alone. Or this devastation <laughs> is coming our way and I don't have love. That I don't have somebody there with me at that time to go with right you know like to 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 experience those last moments with but that's fear of, that that fear of loneliness is inherently or intrinsically tied to this fear fear of not being worthy enough that if i were to die alone then i wasn't valuable enough to be with you know Like nobody wanted to, to go out with me, right? (laughs) Which is, which is silly and it goes back to the ego. And so here, here I am. I'm gonna give myself some grace. It's not silly. It is how I feel. It is how I feel. And that is real regardless if it's, regardless if our fears are based in logic or reality, or if there's clear reason behind these fears regardless at the at at the surface how you feel is how you feel how we feel is how we feel so me fearing being alone as the world ends is how i feel but by examining that thoroughly i hope to come through that experience on the, and be, be on the other side of that, confident that I'm not alone. <laughs> you know, regardless of the physical proximity of another human being, that I'm not alone, that none of us are alone. Now, certainly we can feel loneliness. And again, it goes back to this balance and this nuance and this, but it's a willingness. What, what we must do is, is have a willingness to leave those binaries behind to be okay without the label or the categorization and like fitting something in, into a box being okay with, with with not having that and allowing for seemingly contradicting seemingly contradicting advice fear is rooted in self-preservation and we have Sheltered fear or created a fortress around fear, it's a fortress of comfort. So once our comfort, once white people's comfort is shaken or disrupted or cracked in some way, in a deep gut level, we, I I think we know that comfort. I think we know what that comfort is protecting. I, I I've had this sense that white people know the boundaries. White people know where if, if 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 one more question is asked, like when talking about poverty or talking about police brutality or gun violence or uh, climate devastation, It's like we know that we can talk about it to a certain point, but one more question or one more, insight will lead to will lead to white supremacy will lead to our complicity and culpability we know disruption to that comfort will lead to our culpability and complicity in the devastation in the world in relation to these two the most pressing violent issues of our time destructive issues of our time and so it it like for example we talk about how gun violence proliferates in poor communities of color. And that's where it ends most of the time, right? We don't poke into, okay, why? <laughs> we don't poke into why there are poor communities of color or why gun violence would proliferate in that or who's at who or what is at fault for that. It's like it becomes just something that we know, that we say, that we act like we're aware of, and then it becomes just, well, that's just how it is. And that we'll solve it eventually. When white people use that we, we're putting on everyone else. We're including everyone else in that, even the communities of color that have been impoverished by our white power system and kept in poverty by the violent arm of the state, police and our, ing- uh, our injustice system, uh, criminal injustice system keeps communities of color, uh, uh, it perpetuates, they perpetuate poverty um, by uh, mass incarceration and mandatory minimums. And all of the fallout that comes from a felony conviction, the all of the things that are then cut off, so then what happens, right? You, if If your inability to find gainful employment with a business, you know, like find a job, is cut off because of a felony conviction, what option then do you have, right? You you have to go outside of of that traditional workforce to find means to survive. And what does America, what does the white power, what does the white supremacist system offer? Our white power system offers guns. <laughs> so which which then it, that 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 creates a terror within that community, that begets fear of being shot, of being murdered instantly. Don't you see how saying gun violence proliferates in poor communities of color? And stating that as a fact, and then not poking into that as why or ignoring some of the why's like the police state, Moms Demand Action did this when I volunteered with them. Stating this this fact, right? And then not interrogating Why or trying to continue to partner with police departments when they are the ones who are keeping people in poverty. (laughs) And overwhelmingly black Americans, people of color, immigrants, because once you keep poking into that, you start questioning. So it, it, it begets questions of our economy. It begets questions of our legal system. It begets questions of our police state. And it begets questions of what, what we owe to one another and our contentment to exist in a world, in a system that we have created and upheld to, to bring about what it does. So that's why we stop there. Any further interrogation brings us into it. If we end there, there's a conversation that can happen about black-on-black crime, which, which always happens, <laughs> right? Which isn't... That's a product of the violence, the, cr- the crimes uh, against humanity that white people have committed through our commitment to our white power. But that interrogation is scary. But to, to not do anything to live in a world where we do that, when we choose to do that, when we could do something else, that's fucking scarier. That's way scarier. We talk about businesses, corporations, polluting, and that being the fuel that drives this climate devastation. But who fucking owns these? <laughs> They're all white men. We don't poke into that. And then, we, then you can question why are white men at the top? Why is it that all white that it's all white men who own these large corporations that are fucking up the environment? How did they get there? Right? Because once you once you poke into that, once you start asking those questions even a little bit, it leads you to the same thing. That road there is is terrifying for us, for us white people and it will continue it will compound just like how climate devastation gun violence these things aren't going to go away unless we stop doing them there isn't a solution that we can find for the problems that we've created aside from stopping the thing that we're doing <laughs> But we want to continue to do the things, the harmful things. The the destructive things. And then try to create some other solution to to solve that. And then we end up just putting a band-aid on wildfires or, or hurricanes or mass shootings. You can't band-aid mass incarceration or police lynchings. There isn't an acceptable amount of that. And so if we want to eliminate that, we have to eliminate the source. We can't... (laughs) there, there, There is no way to stop police killings with police. They're going to keep killing. They've shown us. There isn't a better case to abolish the police than the police are making themselves. And with police violence, you poke into that a bit. Just a little bit, (laughs) doesn't need to be very far. And you see where they police, you see who they kill. You see who they brutalize, you see who they lynch. And yes, these violent people also kill white people. That is not a justification to keep them. (laughs) The only way to end police violence is to end policing in America. The only way to end corporate pollution is to end corporations. (laughs) And these, this idea of changing the system of abolishing police and prisons of dismantling the white supremacist patriarchal capitalist system that we live in creates so much fear in white people. Fear of the loss of familiarity, fear of that loss of comfort. But as it becomes more and more and more and more and more glaringly obvious, it's always been there for us to to see but it's becoming more visible now. The more we retreat the more we cut ourselves off from the fullness of life. The only way through is through. And it is a much scarier proposition to live in a world where we have accepted the suffering that we cause, where we have resigned ourselves to the world as it is, that we have resigned ourselves to this role of accomplice and beneficiary to a violent system that we created and uphold. That's far scarier. Squandering our privilege to end this suffering, that is scarier. Betraying our humanity, our shared humanity is scary. Choosing to betray, choosing to abandon. So I I, I have zoomed it out to white people I'm sorry about that because I, I want to share my micro fears, ho- ho- hopefully seeing those, seeing how an issue like gun violence and poverty can be pushed through, can, can be interrogated. Hopefully that creates some sort of template for us to then take that to our, to our individual fears similar to you know, how my fear of humiliation, my fear of public humiliation has, has been one that I've, because I've feared it so much, I've like brought it upon myself. And I did that in destructive ways, right? With, with drinking, I, I was bringing that public humiliation upon myself in that way. What I'm doing right now could also bring about public humiliation. But what I'm operating from is a more secure foundation. I had no sort of secure foundation or solid foundation when I was drinking because it was built on denial and fear of recognizing my role in the harm that I've caused. Fear of accountability, which I think leads right into this other fear that I have. It's more of a paranoia, but even, so, you know, you just keep going back. So that's the thing I hope to do, right? Where we have a, we have one of these like denial or paranoia or anger or insecurity. What is at that, what is, what is bubbling beneath all of those, right? It's fear. We need to build that muscle to dig. (laughs) We have to dig in, whether it be with our systemic issues, our institutional I- issues, you dig, you 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 trace back to where the hurts start. We trace back to where the fear is, and we look at that fear. We face it. So I'm I, I have this paranoia of getting caught. I put that in quotations. Like I'm not I'm not entirely sure what that means. I think it has something to do with others who 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 who. Have been, who are addicts or have bipolar might be able to relate to that. But I have this fear that I'm going to get caught, so what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm running into it, right? Because there, there, <laughs> there's no way to face that fear, this fear of getting caught <laughs> without putting myself out there, being vulnerable, being shameless. And I'm scared that, so my idea with shamelessness is, so having gone through that fearless moral inventory and accepting my past, which will have to be continually accepted. It's going to like, these are things that you continue to look down (laughs) at you face down and, and, and you accept it. Because I've been able to do that, because I've been able to accept it, right? that it can't be used against me, that my past is. (laughs) It is immovable. But what I hope that I've done, what I hope that like, the the direction that I hope that I've entered or or, or worked toward. So what I hope that I've worked toward is self-forgiveness. And what I hope to do with this with, with this project, with whatever whatever this may turn out to be, what I hope to do with this is show that forgiveness is guaranteed. Because at the end of this, at the end of this journey or, or when, when you've worked through that, the forgiveness of self is guaranteed. I, I can't, there's no way for me to guarantee that another will forgive you. But if you enter this work, for forgiveness is guaranteed because what we're working toward is self-forgiveness. And on the other side of self-forgiveness is the awareness, is the awareness that your forgiveness is the only thing that you need. That that your forgiveness is enough. And that it cannot be expected from another. And this sounds like I might be saying like I have the answers. I I, I don't. And I worry that <laughs> I'm not ready for this, right? Or like what I'm doing, I'm going, I'm running into this and I'm not like, I'm not going to be able to handle it. Like my ego will, like I'm not going to be able to handle it. And that I'll, that I'll be crushed and lo- I'll lose my way and lose my faith, that I'll be humiliated. That is a, that's, that is a, that is there, but I'm not letting it stop me, right? And by doing this, I'm giving myself an example. I'm setting a precedent for myself, showing myself that I can exist alongside a fear, know it's there and face it anyway. That builds both confidence and momentum. Confidence that I can do this again and momentum to do it again, right? So I think, and I'm just kind of thinking about this now, perhaps vulnerability is, when, when we make ourselves vulnerable, that might be the best combatant to fear, our vulnerability. Because when you make yourself vulnerable, you're saying, fuck you, fear. I'm not scared of you, fear. <laughs> I'm going to make myself vulnerable. There is no answer. And I don't want to claim that I have the answer. I hope that I I, I hope I'm not coming off as if I have the answer, right? How you perceive it is how you perceive it, right? There's nothing I can do about that. But I'm going to try to be vulnerable to say fuck you to my fear. Maybe not fuck you. See, but this is interrogation because fear is a feeling, right? Fuck you almost sounds like it's invalidating. There is space for fear, but just like suffering, there is an excess that we can eliminate by doing the work. Fear is inherent to the human condition. Suffering is inherent to the human condition, but is the amount of fear that we feel Inherent is the amount of suffering that we see that we inflict is that inherent to life? Or can it be stopped? Can it be can it be eliminated? Can it be recognized as as an outcome that that was man-made and then changed accordingly to eliminate that fear and eliminate that suffering? I, I think the suffering and the fear go hand in hand. As we As our fear rises, our our propensity for violence increases. And I believe that that is, that reflex of violence has been conditioned. I don't believe that we are inherently evil, that we're inherently bad. I do believe that that is commonly used as an excuse to dismiss the suffering that is inflicted. That does. That, that we inflict that's not inherent to life. This, it is what it is, or God has a plan. Because we fear our own agency and our own autonomy. If we have the choice, if we have the agency to do something different, then why aren't we? Better, best to ignore that, right? Best not to, to think about that too hard. But what do we do then? We cut ourselves off from the full extent of our agency. We cut ourselves off from the fullness of life. We limit how we can connect with one another. Are you tired about talking about the weather with someone? Are you are you, are, are you sick of small talk? The reason why we have to retreat to small talk is because we ignore so much. We, we put blinders up to so much of our lives, to so much of, 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 of the world as it is, that we are limited. We're so limited. They're, 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 the reason why we have nothing to talk about is because we block out so much. And again, the we I'm using here is, is white people. We fear talking about anything else because we're always a, couple, always a couple questions away from our own accountability. So we keep it safe. We play it safe. And we don't challenge one another because we know how, how scary it is. <laughs> So it's this agreement we make with one another that we won't challenge each other. So what I hope with, by sharing this is that it begins to build that muscle of curiosity and of inquisitiveness and of interrogation. We have to be okay asking questions regardless of what the answer may be. And we have to ask the right questions, right? We can't stop short. We must challenge one another. My hope is that you feel challenged by this. That you feel a little uncomfortable by it. This is uncomfortable for me. This this causes discomfort for me. But knowing our fears will illuminate our decision-making process. What is at the heart of the decisions that we make in our lives? And if you go through it and you realize that, that you aren't making these, making your decisions based off fear, then that's wonderful, that's amazing. But you know that then, and now you can move forward. But I don't know if that's the case for a lot of us. I think there's fears that we might sense, but we've ignored for so long that we're not aware of its power. We are not aware of how much fear controls our lives. Wouldn't you wanna be aware of that? Or at least know if it's not the case that you've, that you've worked through it and you, you realize, like, okay, you know my, my fears aren't running my decision-making process. And on the flip side of that, wouldn't it be good to know if it was? So let's talk fears. Let's talk about what we fear. What, let, let's, let's first start with the fears that we know. You know, like fear of failing, fear of loneliness, fear of abandonment. Those are ones that I think we can relate to fear of being on the receiving end of violence you know like fear of death fear of hurting another fear of tragedy these are fears that 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 we all know that we can that we that when when you hear it you can you can sense it you know you felt that before right let's start there let's go through this together Let's work through this together. We can journey there with one another. This isn't work that we have to do on our own. So let's do it together because what's on the other side of that? Peace, love, safety, and ending suffering. Let's talk about our fear of death and our fear of time. Our fear of letting ourselves or others down. Fear of losing our way, losing our mind, selling our souls. The fear of not being seen. God, I hold that fear. Fear of not being, or of being misunderstood. Fear of pessimism and resignation. The fear of not being present or aware of the world as it is. We are here to bear witness faithfully. To see the world how it is. And to not shy away from that. To run toward it. But we can run toward it together. I will admit it, I am scared to death. But knowing that I have you to work with me, to support me, just as I will work with you, and support you. Don't you see how that already, that already can dull that fear? Because I promise you that the scariest thing is that we do nothing. There is nothing scarier than that prospect. So let's do something. Let's practice what we preach. Let's be there for one another. Let's set precedence for ourselves that build confidence and create momentum. Let's take a fearless moral inventory together. I hope that this was helpful. I'm scared it's not. (laughs) Of course, I'm tired of being scared. I am sick of living in fear. I'd rather be vulnerable. I'd rather be open. I'd rather live in unconditional love Wherever you are right now in your life, I want to meet you there. We're just talking. And our communication with one another is the only way through this. So I can promise you two things. That the road at the end of this, when we've worked through it, you will find forgiveness. You will have forgiveness, and that you won't be alone when you're doing the work. Those are two promises that I I can get I, I, I can make to you confidently. I promise that I will work with you. I hope that this has helped in some way. I hope that you are doing okay. I hope. That you know, if you feel that you're lost, that you have me. And I know I have you. So let's be scared together.